Tonight's going to be Q&A. I'm also, if we don't get in much q and I'm going to talk about some of the things we've been working on this spring. So, giddy up, let's go. Um, I'll ask myself the same thing that I ask everyone. What's Rick, what's on your mind right now? Uh, it's been a, it's been a hard spring. It's been a hard summer. Um, there's still hardship in a lot of places. There's a lot of drought. Uh, we just have to remember to keep our heads up. Um, we have to also understand that no matter how hard you try to build your system, you're only resilient for so long. We can only handle so many days without rain and so many days above 90 degrees. So don't get frustrated if, you know, you, you hear that, oh my gosh, if we, if, we, uh, if we become regenerative and we follow the principle of health, we're gonna be resilient against anything mother nature can deal out. No, that's not correct. So hang in there, but your systems get stronger. There's no doubt about that. But we all have our limitations, including the systems that we're currently all trying to build. So keep that in mind, stay positive, and let's go with tonight. And I'll tell you what, um, Jeremy, good evening, Rick. Can you talk about how your soybeans are doing and what are soybean markets doing? Okay. Now, I'll tell you what we're going to try to do tonight. We're going to try to do, it's probably going to be a pretty small group. Uh, Rachel's with us. So if you want to raise your hand and we'll just get a conversation going until the next person has a question. So again, be respectful, be polite, and, and let's try this. But I'll go ahead, Jeremy, and I'll answer your first question here. Uh, and then Jeremy, if you want to continue with something else, please raise your hand and Rachel can find you and uh, turn your microphone on. Okay. All right. Uh, Jeremy's wanting to know about our soybeans and the soybean markets. Okay. And I'm assuming we're talking organic because Jeremy probably knows that we're all organic. So that's what I'm going to talk about. Okay. Uh, this is an interesting story. And I kind of feel like a dummy, but that's okay. Um, I hope everyone knows me by now. I try to give you the good, the bad, and the ugly. I try to be transparent. And that's what we're going to do here. Um, yeah, there's another good one coming up. Hang on a minute. I'll get you, I'll get to that one, the next question, but let's stay right here with these soybeans. Okay. Now, very strange. This has been a, this has been a year of conundrums. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the first one right here, the soybeans. Okay. We go to the field and we've got pretty good rye and, 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 and uh, wheat and barley, remember it's, it's our Maslin uh, mix that we call it. And it looks pretty good and we're gonna plant into it. And for some strange reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, I get these premonitions, I get these feelings. Last winter, I had a feeling we were gonna be dry early in the spring, I don't know why. So I decided to change First of all, change our spring planting lineup a little bit because corn does not like 
early stress like that, so we didn't do any corn early. Okay, but let's stay on the soybeans for now. Now, I decided that we were not going to roll anything down this year, okay? And here's why. We had a beautiful early entry point into getting soybeans planted, and I went a little early. The cover crop was not at the point of growth stage that it should have been. So on just a few acres, we went early with the intention of never rolling because we would, oh, we'd be out of time here because I'm way in front of boot stage, okay? All right, we go out, we plant. Conditions are, I think, optimal. I mean, my definition of a good seed bed or a good seed slot is, first question is, will the cash crop come up without a rain event? That's number one. If it will do that, then it's time to plant. Number two is if you can take your finger and dig down and find your seed with your finger and it crumbles all the way down to the seed, it's good to go. That's where we were. So we go out and we plant and we, we're, we're, we're with the air seeder and I'm not, I'm not complaining about the air seeder, I'm just telling you what we did. So John Deere in 540C, seven and a half inch spacing, we go out and we, I think we dropped, um, it was based on pounds per acre, but I think it worked out to be like 230 or 40,000 seeds per acre, okay? Quite a few seeds. Come back, I don't know, four weeks later, can't find any beans. Where are the beans? Where'd they go? So I'm digging and digging and digging and there's a bean here and a bean there and a bean over there. I mean, it's not even worth taking a stand count. It's so pathetic. So now here comes the heat. Here comes the, the no rain. So now we're creeping into May and we're now going six, seven, eight weeks, no rain on some of these fields for eight weeks. I have pretty much kissed the bean crop goodbye because Three weeks ago, I couldn't find any beans, and there sure isn't going to be any out there now when it's the Mother Nature's turned up the heat and we have no rain. So I kind of was thinking about Plan W at this point, and we're going to just punt. But remember, I did not roll, so we're going to come back in July, and we're going to harvest the, the maslin off. 40 bushel, 50, whatever, whatever it is. There's no inputs here. We just planted the, the maslin last fall. And then we'll come back and we will either A, set the field up for a cover crop for next spring's cash crop, or B, we might take some of these acres and put a second crop in like maybe buckwheat or milo. Okay. So it's about time to get the combines rolling and I go out in the field and we can't combine. And you're going to, and you're asking why? And it's because the beans that I so so quickly gave up on decided to grow, I guess because we did get a rain event, but between the the mini drought we had and when we were going to cut wheat, we got a rain event. Apparently the beans laid there and just laid there and laid there 
we got this one rain event and boom, here come the beans. And I mean, they are exploding now because our soil temp is in the mid seventies, the upper seventies, and it's, it's uh, getting into July and we're ready to go. Well, here come the beans now, and they now have outgrown the height of the wheat, so we can't cut the wheat off anymore because the beans are too tall. What a problem to have. So, long-winded answer, Jeremy, the beans are doing great. But here's the thing. By not rolling the maslin down, we have pretty much opened up the door for weeds. Now we've had some late rain, so that I just described one of those rain events right before wheat harvest. Then we've had two or three since then. I think, I, I don't quote me on this, but we're probably in the last 30 days, we're probably somewhere around four inches of rain on these fields. We've been very blessed. The beans look good, the weeds look good. We've ran a weed zapper on pass number one, but as, People may or may not know with the weed zapper, it will kill pretty much everything that copper bar touches, including the cash crop. So you have to run, you know, if here's your cash crop, you got to run this bar above that cash crop so you don't touch them and kill them. Well, as a result, when you do this, yes, you're going to you're going to probably kill everything above the beans, but whatever is at the bean height or slightly below you haven't done anything to yet. So now it's been about two, two and a half weeks since we made our first pass. All of those low-lying weeds are now coming and passing the beans. We've got a pretty weedy field. But I, I want to I wanna now talk about a little uh, something that really frustrates me. It's human nature to base your opinions and your decisions on perception. We all do it, I probably do it, I try not to, but I probably do. And here's what I mean by that. Yes, when you drive by, and this, these two, there's two fields on a state highway, so it's heavy traffic, 310 acres, or 320 acres on this side of the road, 320 acres on that side of the road. Heavy traffic, state highway. Yes, the weeds look horrid. They do, no doubt. But if you don't slow down or you don't stop, hey, we're friendly. We would love to talk to anybody that drives in the driveway. Pull in and say, what in the world are you doing over there? All I see are weeds. And then I'd say, Come with me, let's go take a look. And the closer we get, you're gonna say, oh my gosh, the field is loaded with soybeans. And it is, but it's also loaded with weeds. So the perception here is people driving by at 60 mile an hour say That's, that this outfit does no, has no idea what they're doing. It's an absolute joke. And they're gonna be out of business. It's not the case. Well, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I don't, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but I think we got a pretty good handle. We can, we can explain why we have the weeds. Is it something I wanna have? No, it's not. We're doing the best we can to rectify the problem. There are beans in there. We're gonna be just fine. And 
everything's good to go. And, and folks, it is the absolute epitome of regenerative farming. No inputs, no tillage, all cover crop, organic. I don't know how you could get any more at the pinnacle of regenerative than the way we're doing it. Is it gonna be perfect? No, it's not. And if you ever hear me tell you that we have this figured out, you stop me right there and say, Rick, you're wrong. No one has this figured out, and that is correct. I will never stand up in front of anybody and say we have this all figured out because we do not. But we keep trying every day to make it better. What are the prices of beans doing? Well, Jeremy, the price of organic beans have, have fallen off a cliff. Last year, we were having bids at this time of year between $36 to $40 a bushel. This year, the bids are 20 to $21 a bushel. So almost cut in half. So it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough year. Um, we're getting no help from the government. They, they continue to let products come in from overseas that aren't organic. I can't prove that, but there are a lot of people that say that. There are people watching out for these things. So it's hard uh, when, in my opinion, the American farmer is not being protected enough to, uh, to protect the, the supply coming from us. There's good demand out there. Let the American farmer supply the American demand, not overseas uh, products that somehow the manifest changes crossing the, crossing the Atlantic Ocean. So enough of that. But anyway, beans look good, Jeremy. Price is not so much, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, David Crowley, I hope that's how I got that right. Thoughts on Robert Kennedy and his presentations on soil? Well, he's got a he's got a roundtable in 15 minutes. I like what I'm hearing so far from Robert Kennedy Jr. Um, I I think we have to put politics or not politics, but our party stance to the side. And we have to start looking at who is going to be the best to keep us moving forward on the right track. Now, I don't know a lot about Mr. Kennedy, but I like what I've heard so far. I think he's a Democrat. Um, I don't really care. Um, if he's good for us and good for the people, then I think he would be a fine candidate. He definitely comes from uh, you know, genetics of bloodlines that know about politics. He definitely comes from that. Uh, he's not very old. Uh, he's in his prime. I, I think he's got a great outlook on things. I heard a little bit of his talk uh, on Joe Rogan. Um, the part I heard was about he was hitting Mon Monsanto pretty hard. Um, that's okay, but you know, I like I, I like people that that not only take a stand against something but have a plan. 
It's one thing to stand up and just pound on the table and say, you better change. Well, if you don't have a plan, then, then that does no good. But if you, can, if you can state your case and then have a plan, I think, I think we'll be okay. I think I just froze. Oh, come on. We can still hear you. We just can't see you. It just says your name on the screen. Okay. All right. I'm going to, what am I going to do here? Okay. I'll just keep talking then. Um, so David, I hope that answered your question. Um, I, again, I don't know a lot about Mr. Kennedy, but I think we have to put our parties to the side and we need to look at who's the best person for the job. And I think he would be a fine candidate. Uh, we'll, we'll learn more about him. Um, there just seems to be, I don't know if corruption is the right word, but it just seems like a lot of our high ranking officials or ex high ranking officials seem to be in some trouble right now. So I don't know how much of it's true. It's hard to know. It's hard to work your way through all the minutia, but um, I don't know. Um, I am going to quickly X out. Rachel, is there any other questions there? Anybody has a question? I believe you answered all that have been here so far. I'm going to I'm going to get out of Zoom and come back. So people, everyone, please be patient. I'll be right back. Here we go. All right, Ken, I don't see any video. Can you hear me, Rachel? Yes, I can see you, but it's just all completely black. I don't know what's going on. I think it's my computer, actually. I don't know what's happening here. Um, so please, is there anyone out there that has a question, something you'd like to talk about? Okay. I'm going to, while people are, are working on questions, I'm going to go somewhere else here. All right, we had a couple trials going on this year. One of them was cold tolerant peas planted into our Maslin last fall. Okay. I put some videos out early in the spring. I will show the progress of the peas. Everything looked great. The, uh, the Maslin looked awesome. Now here's the mistake I made. 
we okay remember i told you we were in this drought this mini drought for like eight weeks and it was i mean folks it was dry we have lost all subsoil moisture it's that dry we are now living here from rain to rain is where we are because we've lost it all all right here's the mistake i made this was a trial so what we were doing here was we were trying to accomplish two things i wanted the peas to feed the wheat or the maslin and then i wanted to terminate the maslin and the peas and we were going to plant milo and this was going to be the fuel for the milo here's the mistake i made we're in this weather pattern i should have known better i know better than to do this but i had this this trial in my mind i wanted to see how the milo would do in this situation that's my mistake here. I should have done nothing and let the peas and the maslin go because it's like the old saying, one bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I had a crop growing. Actually, I had two crops growing. I had a maslin growing and I had the peas growing. I could have easily harvested them both together and separated them and sold the two markets. But instead of, of getting entrenched in my trial that I wanted to do to plant Milo into this situation, that's where I screwed up. I should have just left a few acres out of this field to try my Milo experiment and let the rest of it go to maturity and harvest it. Okay, that's the first mistake I made. The second mistake I made was I was all I'm, I still am. I'm all about biology. I, as you well know, most of you know, I've not been on the biology bandwagon until just recently. All right. Now, we do not have an in furrow mechanism to get biology in furrow except with the corn planter. Okay. So we rigged up, and I got a video on this too, it's out there somewhere. We rigged up the corn planter, Eric did, and we went out and we laid down an in-furrow with the corn planter. So we were not planting any cash crop yet. I just merely went through the field and planted biology on 20 inch row spacing. Big mistake. Again, we have to think of the context here. The context is we are burning up and we are losing moisture. So when we dropped our corn planter in the ground and made that nice three inch slit in the ground to plant the biology down there and then the closing wheels closed it, that was just enough opening up to let the field continue to air out and we lost the rest of what little bit of moisture we had. So now the corn planter has knocked down over half of what was standing beautiful. It was beautiful stand of maslin, which again, maslin is wheat, rye, and barley. And these grassland Oregon survivor peas. 
So we knocked half of them down with the corn planter, putting on biology. We opened up the slot, moisture went out. We then came back two or three days later, planted the Milo with the air seeder into absolute dust. At least I thought it was dust. Apparently I planted the Milo too deep because we must have got it in just enough moisture that it germinated but there wasn't enough moisture to keep it alive so it germinated and died so now i have made critical mistakes here we've gone out there and we and i gave up on the crop we had in hand actually the two crops we had in hand i just just slaughtered it because that was the plan to do with the milo to begin with second mistake was pulling the planter in there and opening the field up to dry out even more. And then some would argue my third mistake would have been planting into the dust. I like to do that. Let's go back to my bean scenario when I first started this podcast tonight. Remember, the beans were nowhere to be found. They just laid there in the dry dirt and waited on the rain. I tried to do the same thing with the Milo, but I got it too deep because I... Because you got to think now, we're in a weather environment where um, it's hot, it's dry, we've lost all subsoil moisture, and if we get a half inch of rain in two days, that rain's going to be gone. So I wanted the seed to be out there laying low and just laying, just hanging out, so that when that rain event came, it's already in the ground and away we go. But apparently I got it too deep, it germinated and died. Big, big, big no-no. But that's part of the deal here, folks. You can't just talk about all the stuff that works. We're gonna talk about everything. And this is some of the stuff that didn't work. Now remember, I do not use the word failure anymore. This was an outcome I did not expect. And we will learn from it and we will not let it happen again. So remember, if you are in a weather pattern that is not desirable, and you're in a situation where you had a plan, like I did, I had a plan, then go ahead and carry that plan out, but carry it out on a lot smaller acres and leave the other, because see, we could have probably, I mean, that that Maslin folks was, I'm guessing here, because we didn't combine, I'm guessing it would have made 60 bushel. So we're going to be able to sell that 60 bushels for 11, or that 60 bushel acre for $11 a bushel organic on just the Maslin. So that's $660. We were going to make the peas. I don't know what the peas would have made. I don't know, 20. Then we could get paid on the peas. So we're easily going to get to $1,000 an acre here if I just would have done nothing. So be patient, stay true to your ideas, but look at the context. You gotta think about context here. It's not, everybody wants to think about context as only being where you are in the world. That's one of the ways to look at context. Here is another way. Look at the context of what you immediately have in front of you. We are in a mini drought. It hasn't rained in, in three weeks. 
It's 90 degrees plus and the subsoil moisture is falling faster than you can drive off of a cliff. That right there is enough warning to say, wait a minute, we've got a beautiful crop growing. We're gonna go get this crop. Okay, enough of that. Okay, Brad is asking, what kind of nitrogen to use in a cover crop system? Planning to have a light rate of wheat with hairy vetch and crimson or balanza clover. Typically would use ammonia, would, would like to do this without tillage. Okay, so uh, Brad, I'm assuming you're talking about, you're getting ready to do this now, and you're going to get this cover crop planted and, and you want the nitrogen to be there for corn next spring. I'm assuming that's the setup here. Okay. Um, what, I love what you got here. Uh, light rate of wheat, yep, I'd say 30 pounds or less, maybe 40 max. I, I'd say 30 or less. Uh, I don't particularly care for, if you're going to chemically terminate, um, I don't, uh, can you tell me, Brad, are you going to chemically terminate this? Yes. Okay. Then crimson is fine. Crimson's okay. Crimson's a great clover. Medium red clover can be tricky. Uh, you definitely can't use either crimson or medium red if you're going to mechanically terminate, like with a roller crimper or flail chopper or something like that. It's not going to happen because you can't, you won't terminate it like that. The Balanza, you will. But since you're going to go with chemistry, then I would put out 30 pounds of wheat. And again, Brad, uh, Brad are you doing this like in the next two or Tell me where you live and are, and are you doing this in the next two or three weeks? waiting on Brad's response here. Southern Illinois after soybean harvest. Okay. Well, that, you got plenty of time though in Southern Illinois. Okay. Now, but don't, don't dilly-dally here. Get your beans cut. And sometimes, Brad, cutting beans at 18% drilled cover crop. Okay. Sometimes cutting beans at 18% and putting a little heat on them to gain you a week of time is huge for next year. Okay. So don't think you just have to always get your beans to 12% before you start harvesting. Sometimes, I mean, we start at 18% and we put 18% beans in this bin. And then when it warms up in the afternoon and they drop to 13, then we switch bins and go over here. And then we'll dry these in 18 or blend them out with the ones that, you know, every year you always get beans at 10%. So then you blend them with the 18% ones and they all equalize out in the bin and away you go. Okay, so get your beans off. I'd go with 30 pounds of wheat or, a, or even there I'd go with maybe a triticale, something like that. I'd go with a couple pounds of radish. I'd put in a little sorghum Sudan. Now again, folks, this is context. He's in Southern Illinois. This will not work for Minnesota. Okay, what we're talking about here. Then I would put in five pounds of hairy vetch and five pounds of, of balanza clover and let the big dog eat. And what we like to see is third trifoliate on the clover. If you can get clover to third trifoliate, you'll probably survive the winter. And, 
And Brad, especially for you in Southern Illinois, I see no problem. Now, here's what I'd like for you to try next spring. Okay, so everything we talked about there is gonna winter kill except for the vetch and the clover, okay? And the wheat, the wheat's not gonna either. So actually what I would do there, let, I wanna shift that on you. Let's forget the wheat and the triticale and let's put out 30 pounds of oats since you're in Southern Illinois. Not black oats, just regular oats. The oats are gonna winter kill, the radish is going to winter kill, the sorghum sudan, I don't remember what all I told you to put in there, but everything's going to winter kill except for the clover and the vetch. Now, Brad, here's what I want you to try next spring. And this is what we tried this spring in a two or three locations, and I like what I'm seeing. If you have a vertical tillage tool, now I am not promoting tillage here. We are setting our vertical tillage tool right on the ground. So you gotta get, someone's gotta be out there helping you. You're in the cab, you're running this up and down cylinder and you bring this thing down to just be on the ground and set your stops. And I'm calling this a slicing pass. And what you're gonna do now, now remember Brad, you're not gonna be planting corn with your neighbors down there. If you're wanting this to be your source of nitrogen, or even if you're wanting to reduce your nitrogen by 50%, you've got to give this legume enough time to fix nitrogen. So you're looking at no less for you, Southern Illinois, you cannot plant before May the 5th, okay? That's a guess, but I'm, that's, that's pretty good because up here, I'm north of you about uh, two, two and a half, uh, three hours. We don't start planting corn usually until after Mother's Day, and that's typically around May 15th. I think it's the second weekend or the second Sunday in May. Okay, so now you've got these nice big blooms on the Balanza Clover. You've got the big purple ribbon on the uh the vetch it's all growing like crazy and what i want you to do is do this slicing pass so you are going to move hardly any soil the only soil you're going to move are whatever undulations you have out in this field that's it and this slicing pass is going to cut the vetch and the clover into pieces that are the width of your blades and it's going to start the breakdown process quicker and we're going to terminate these legumes quicker than rolling them with a roller crimper okay now don't spray yet okay now one more question for you brad are you planting non-gmo corn or gmo corn or roundup ready corn how about that are you planting roundup ready corn or no roundup ready corn Roundup ready. Perfect. Okay. Now, this is what I want you to do, Brad. I want you to go in and plant the corn two days after this slicing pass. No-till the corn right into it. And two days later, you're going to start having some brown, crunchy stems, and it's going to plant like a dream. Then I want you to wait until the corn has come out of the ground, and then use your glyphosate pass or whatever it is, 
to terminate whatever cover crop is still growing and your corn is going to explode out of the ground. But you see, by, by, by letting another couple of days go and waiting till your corn's out of the ground at say maybe V2, you've given, if that legume was not totally terminated, it's still fixing a little bit more nitrogen for you in this six, seven, eight, nine day window we're talking about. Actually be more like a 14 day window. Because from the time of when you did this slicing pass to when corn was at V2, it's gonna be about 14 days. And if the, the clover and the vetch did not die, it's still fixing some nitrogen that's going to help you then in the long run. And then I then what we used to do, Brad, we would go out at say V5 and we would pull one foot and two foot um, nitrogen core samples. And we would test, have the test ran to see how much nitrogen we had at the one foot level and the two foot level. Then you can kind of decide now how much you want to reduce your synthetic in by. Because see, at this point, you've done nothing. It's now May 20th, you've got V2 corn and you've done nothing. You've put down no nitrogen and you've done no chemistry to this point. So things to think about. Again, I, I don't know your whole operation. I don't know if you can wide drop. I don't know if you can side dress. I don't know if you have to put all your in up front. I don't know these things. But if you have the capability to side dress, then I would do exactly the scenario I just talked through. And, and guys and gals, this, this, is when, this is when we were knocking it out of the park. When we were 100% non-GMO, 100% cover crop, 100% no-till, and 70% reduction of inputs. That's when we were killing it. We were actually increasing yields year over year, both corn and beans. We reduced inputs by 70%. And we had the weeds under control with the cover crop. And we could terminate the cover crop with a little bit of glyphosate. So that's what you need to strive for. I mean, I do not put the way we farm, I do not push this upon anybody. I just want you to think about a couple of things we do, take it home and implement it into your context, into your system. That's it. All right, let me see what I missed here. Hindsight's 2020, yeah, I appreciate that, Roger, but I'm still just frustrated. Um, I let, I let two really good cash crops get away and that, that's my fault, never happen again. Thanks Rick for the soybean update. Yes, I'm an organic farmer. It's been a very dry spring here in Michigan. Cover crops took all the moisture and crops didn't come up well. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. Um, I know. Now, let's go back to what I said. I, I somehow, I don't know. I don't know why, but I just thought it was gonna be dry. So we went out early, we got beans planted early, which wound up being a great thing this year. We didn't plant anything else early, except I did plant that Milo. Probably a little too early. But we waited until later in the growing season, and then you can plant Milo. But again, 
the Milo disappointed me. Um, uh, Dave, I'll get to your question about aphids in just a minute. The Milo, I really made another, I, I, I made two or three blunders this year. And that's not like me, so I, I don't know what I don't know what's going on, but it's okay. We got to learn from this and move forward. Here's the other blunder I did. I made a very bad assumption. When we put out cocktails, and we've been doing this for 16 or 17 years, we always put sorghum Sudan in with the cocktail if we have enough time in the fall for it to grow and do us some good, like Brad's going to do in Southern Illinois. I think he'll be fine after bean harvest in Southern Illinois. It's a big difference from Southern Illinois to West Central Indiana. I know it's only about a three-hour drive. And there's something in that three-hour drive. The weather changes dramatically. I think Brad will be fine down there doing this. But back to my other blunder. Okay, so I made an assumption that, hey, Sorghum Sudan absolutely loves these cocktails. It thrives in this competition. It loves the, the radish. It loves the, the, the oats. It loves the, the legumes. It loves all of these things. So I know that Sorghum Sudan and Milo or Sorghum, are related i mean duh it's sorghum sudan so it's a cross it's got sorghum in there somewhere i'm thinking okay sorghum sudan works in our cocktails milo's going to work in our system we're going to move away from corn and we're going to move into milo no good milo might be a bigger wimp than corn it might have less vigor and it definitely does not like the competition. Now, if you are in a tillage environment, then I would be all about it. I would be planting wheat in the fall, I'd be harvesting the wheat, and I'd be double cropping milo behind the wheat if you so desired. We don't wanna do that on every acre because now remember, when you double crop, you are now way late in the fall harvesting that second crop and you have no chance of planting a cover crop except for cereal rye. Okay, as long as you understand that, it's okay. But Milo is like a 65-day crop. A buckwheat is like a 60-day crop. So we've got buckwheat planted. We've got some Milo planted. Now, again, the Milo did not like our system. So we did a little bit of tillage, and I know I'm a huge proponent against tillage. I understand that, and I'm not saying that we need to till. That's not what I'm saying here. But what I'm saying is sometimes we have to look at different alternatives to make a cash crop work. I don't like tillage. We tried a little bit of this knockdown that I'm talking about, this slicing or this knockdown pass. We maybe worked three quarters of an inch of soil and the Milo came up and it liked that environment. It did. So we have to understand that. Okay, my, any, 
you know, Milo is closely related to corn. They don't like the no-till system with all the competition. Okay, accept that and move on to a different crop or change your system on how you're going to raise corn. I don't have it figured out. I'm working on it, but this is hard. I mean, this is hard and it's demoralizing because you get 300 acres of an idea going and it all fails. So then you're moving on to plan W. It's okay. I'm not asking for sympathy here. I'm trying to give you what we are experiencing here so you don't have the same problems. Okay. Um, okay, this is from Dave. Uh, Rick, any solution on for controlling aphids? We are seeing it in forage sorghum. Just tried releasing ladybugs. Any other natural organic solutions? Um, there is a friend of mine. Um, Rachel, would you do me a favor and type this website, please? Let me look up this gentleman's. Um, I want you to go to um, what? Let's try um, AgroBio USA. So A G R O, and then Bio, and then USA. He's got a pro he's got a couple products there, and he's organic. And he's got a couple products there that are for this specific instance, okay? Um, I don't know if Ludmila is on this evening. Uh, Ludmila is our Ukrainian friend that, that is usually on every week. She is very big into the biological. She would understand what we need to do to attack or help circumvent the aphids. Now, one thing that we've always strived for, um, Dave, is you need to have good health um, in your soil and in your uh, environment. So when you can accomplish good health, usually the pests don't come. And, and then also, which this is kind of a Band-Aid, but uh, folks will go out and, and spray a sugar pass out with whatever it is you might be spraying also and try to bring your bricks counts up. And then as the bricks counts come up, typically then these, these pests will, they cannot handle these complex uh, chains uh, and these protein chains. And then when they ingest the leaf, they will then die. So again, I'm not an expert in this, but the number one thing is to keep your plant health as high as you possibly can. And then you may augment it with some molasses, but try AgroBio USA. His name's Mark. Tell him I, I sent you and he's got some products that whether you're organic or not, he's got some products that can probably help you. Okay. Um, yeah, we're seeing it in forage sorghum. So quick question, Dave, um, did you, 
did you do your forage sorghum in a clean tilled environment? Could you, if you don't mind, would you please respond to that? Um, Dave also says, uh, no, no till. Okay. Um, Dave, would you raise your hand and let's get into a conversation real quick, please. Dave, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, thank you, Dave, for coming on. I, I want to have a little conversation about this. Yeah. Um, so you took rye, you mean like you took it as like rileage, you, you swathed it and, and chopped it off the field? We, we've done a lot of uh, scenarios. Uh, one is uh, we chop it for silage, another we baled, and other stuff we uh, grazed, and there was probably a 12-inch residual. And uh, in generally, we're, we're planting this in like middle of June, and we're down in southern Indiana, so ryegrass is about done. Yeah. Uh, but what I've seen is any place where the ryegrass kind of sticks around a little bit, uh, it really hinders the forage sorghum coming up. Yeah, I, I get that. But you're having pretty good. Okay, so you're telling me then when you're coming back into this this clipped off scenario they for the most part the rye is brown and and heading toward termination correct okay and i'll tell you man this milo i was really excited about this milo and i i don't know what i'm doing wrong dave but it is kicking my butt i cannot get this stuff figured out i i've been trying it for about five or six years with forage sorghum and uh it, it it's still a lot of times we'll get a, a half a stand okay so i'm not just the lone ranger here then no it it really seems to like tillage and like you said likes to have a clean field no competition okay it's the opposite of what i'm trying to do with it yeah i know but uh lude myla is on tonight um when it's dry, Mila just sits there doing nothing till it rains. Corn at least tries to produce something. Mila is only somewhat drought tolerant. <coughs> Excuse me. When it comes to producing biomass, but not grain, you've promised to talk about common ground. <clears throat> All right, <laughs> I will talk about that in a minute. But Lude Milo, let's go back. Dave, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate sure. it. Uh, Dave, did you also have, uh, were you the aphids? Oh, yes, Lude Milan. Yes. Uh, Dave was wanting to know about controlling aphids. We're seeing uh, aphids in forage sorghum, just tried releasing ladybugs. Any other natural or organic solutions? Lude Milan, do, do you have a thought? She said my answer was perfect. Okay. <laughs> okay, great. Thank, right. Thanks for your help. Hey, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. No problem. Um, all right, Ludmila, you want me to talk about common ground? All right. Common ground is a, I don't know if sequel is the right word. Let's, let's don't use that word. Let's call it the second movie from Kiss the Ground. So Kiss the Ground was number one. Common ground is number two. We were fortunate enough on this farm to be highlighted in the film. And 
it just so happened to be going down all about the same time that I was testifying in DC. So it's unbelievable. And I like to, to kid around and I like to say, well, the reason why this happened was because of me, but I'm just, that's just me being funny here. But um, the, they let Congress let the film crew come into the chamber that I was testifying in. That's never happened before. So they've got footage of me testifying to Congress in the movie. Okay, my wife Carol's in the movie. She talks about cancer and she talks about <clears throat> the health of our family and, and a lot of things. I'm in there, I'm talking about how we're farming, the practices we're doing, how we've, we're trying to do this with eliminating all these inputs <clears throat> and trying to do this with no tillage, at least as much as we possibly can. And there's a, what I really like about the movie, this is what I really like about it. At the beginning of the movie, the movie is very, very hard on big ag. They're hard on the fertilizer companies, they're hard on the chemical companies, they're hard on all of these things that are harming the soil and harming humans. But then they go into the second half of the movie and it talks about all of the ways to make change that can help the problem. So not only do they identify the problem, they also identify solutions to the problem. So they have I don't know, nine maybe case study farms that they have gone to and have collectively put all of this together into the movie. I think the movie is outstanding. And it's not just because we're in it, but I, I think they've done a tremendous job of putting this together. They tell a story, they're telling a real story and they've got real solutions. So, I think it'll be out in September or October. And I think it's going to be on Netflix and then it's going to go, it's going to go everywhere. This thing will be bigger than kiss the ground. And this is going to be more, there is some ranching in here and there is some rotational grazing, but there's a lot more cash crop, row crops, vegetables, uh, corn, soybeans, wheat. There's more of that type of farming in this movie. So, um, and I'm going to tell you right now, we had Jonathan Lundgren on here a few weeks back and my gosh, that man is amazing. He's in the movie and he holds nothing back. He absolutely destroys the USDA and RCS. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing what he says. So. It's a great movie. You've got a lot of powerful people that have held no punches back. And Lude Miley, you're you're gonna you're gonna love it. So thanks for asking me to talk about it. I don't like to talk about myself, but it, it, you're gonna like the movie. It's gonna be good. All right, Simeon. Uh, Pseudomonas bacteria are successful at combating or at combating. Aphids. Okay, that's great, Simeon. Tell us how do we get to this bacteria? What do we do? You want to raise your hand, Simeon, and, and talk it out?
Okay. Uh, is Simeon coming or? Here we go. Simeon, how are you? Simeon, can you hear me? Oh, okay. Simeon's at a restaurant. Okay, I'm sorry, Simeon. Didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Um, Ludmila, could you come? Could you come back and and type what what's Simeon trying to tell us here? Where do we find these bacteria? I'm more, I'm just as interested as everybody else is about this because occasionally we will have aphids, not very often. Um, you know, right now, probably probably what I see the most is vermicompost, vermicompost extract. There you go. I love that stuff. I love that. There are so many ways you can find vermicompost extract to help in your system. So um, there you go. There's your aphid situation. Um, I can hear me. Yeah, Simeon, come on, give it to us. Sorry about the background music. Um, yeah, so Pseudomonas bacteria, there was a study done in Cornell that basically shows they're predators against aphids and also the light spectrum that they emit um, deters aphids. So if you have them in your system, um, it's both a uh, way of killing the aphids and deterring the aphids. But obviously healthy okay. plants go a long way as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously that's the whole goal is to get your system as healthy as possible. Um, yeah. So uh, Lude Miley came on while you were uh, getting to a quiet space there, Simeon, and vermicompost is a good source for this. Yes. Yeah. It comes in vermicompost. It can also, um, you can aerate it, an aerated extract, um, will grow out pseudomonas quite well. They like, uh, very, uh, high oxygen level, um, peas. And then you can also, if you want, you can also buy them specifically. Oh, okay. Um, if like you're really targeting, but basically a, a healthy plant emits a certain light spectrum that deters aphids, and that's exactly what this bacteria does. That's what the Cornell study was on, and basically like what light frequency they're emitting and why the aphids actually don't like them. And that, that seems to be what they found. The, 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 amount of, the amount of brain power that's out there to figure this stuff out is just mind-blowing. And we're, we're just getting closer and closer and closer all the time to understanding what components we need to make a system truly just hum along on all cylinders. So now, Dave, this has been great information for you. Um, vermicompost at five pounds per acre with a little sugar or molasses. Yeah, foliar feed. Yeah, I, I like that. And, and um, there's all kinds of, of extractors out there, but Simeon works for a company, uh, Hiwasi Products. Dave, that that has an extractor. I don't I don't get any money from Hiwasi for saying that. I just like to tell people where you can find things. Um, so there's your formula: five pounds per acre with a little sugar. So you you've got to extract that out through into a solution, and then you will apply that as a foliar feed to your uh, 
to your forage sorghum. And, and, and Dave, the forage sorghum is going to love that little shot of sugar anyway. So it's all, it's all good stuff. Thanks, Simeon. All right. Anybody else? What else we want to tackle here? I love this. I love this back and forth and and going on different angles here. Um, I've got to get I've got to get some people persuaded here, but we need to have a podcast about what we're talking about right now. And we need to have a podcast on how to build these homemade fertilizers, these homemade remedies. And Lou Myla knows I'm exactly talking to, talking to her right now. And we need to get more of this going so that people can come on and get a little handbook going here of if I get an aphid outbreak, I need to do this. If I get um, grasshoppers, I need to do this. If I get uh, armyworms, I need to, you know, whatever that may be. So um, I really think this would be beneficial not only to me, but to a bunch of people. And I wanted to do sometime in the near future, I want to do a podcast about this very thing we're talking about right now. Somebody calls in, hey, I got a problem with aphids. What do I do? And let's go through it. Let's give them a formula. Not all, you know, it's not good enough to just say, we got to apply this, this, and this. We got to teach them and train them. Okay, you need two pounds of this, eight ounces of that, six pounds of that, whatever, whatever the formula is. And then we can start to build an army out here and, and make some real change. So anyway, that's for the future. Um, what do we want to talk about? Anybody else got anything? Anybody, anything? If not, I'm probably going to shut her down because I've gone through my three or four blunders of the year. I won't make those mistakes again. Um, a friend who was in New York with you said that all of y'all farmers group, your wife was the one who looked like she belongs on the red carpet and the rest of y'all made it more obvious. Well, okay. Now I get that. That's probably true. You're exactly right. Yeah. The soil food web has a lot of that information already. Yeah. You're right. Simeon. Um, I understand. And we have had, um, we have had uh, Elaine on the program. She was in season one, but I understand. I'm just talk. I'm thinking Simeon, different angles here, different people, different concepts. So, but yes, um, uh, Soil Food Web, that's Elaine Ingham's program. Uh, they have a lot of this already. That's correct. Kevin, Kevin Neiman, uh, cover crop for Eastern Iowa. What, is that a question for me, uh, Kevin, or what, what are you thinking there? What would you use? I, I don't quite a cover crop for Eastern Iowa. And then it says CO. Oh, corn. Cover crop for Eastern Iowa. Corn, maybe. 
Yes. Okay, so you want to know what cover crop we would plant this late summer, early fall for corn next spring in eastern Iowa. Okay, I'm assuming, again, this is an assumption, you're going to chemically terminate. So if that is the case, then the, the, the Katie bar the door, we're going we're gonna to throw a lot at it. And again, it depends on when you're going to be harvesting the field that this is going to go to corn in. If it's going to be October, then you're very limited on what you can do. If it's going to be early September, then we can get away with clovers, vetches, things like that. So let's go through, I'll go through two scenarios for you. If this is going to be before September 15th, which is very unlikely unless you've raised the cereal grain and you did not double crop, then I'd be doing it now. We're going to start planting some uh, uh, legumes next week for next year. I've got a regen field that did not have a cash crop in it. We're getting it prepped and it's going to go next week into a legume. Okay, before September 15th, oats, I'd do 30 pounds of oats. I would do two pounds of radish. I would do um, five pounds of sorghum Sudan, two pounds of, um, of turnip. And then I, I like to, you gotta get as many of the four categories as you can. I like to put in uh, maybe three or four pounds of sunflower, three or four pounds of sun hemp, and three or four pounds of cowpeas, okay? And then I would put down five pounds of balanza clover and five pounds of hairy vetch, which is plenty. I mean, clover seed is extremely small. You probably don't even need close to five pounds, but let's just stay right there. So everything I gave you in that mix right there will winter kill except for the clover and the vetch. Next spring, let's hope it survives your winter. It's gonna grow. You're gonna have to be patient. Uh, Kevin, you gotta wait. Your farmers are gonna be going on April the 2nd. You're not gonna be able to do that. You're gonna have to wait until May. And then I want you to no-till into that. And if you're using a Roundup Ready corn, then wait till the corn has emerged and terminate chemically. If you're not using a Roundup Ready corn, then plant, plant, and then five days later, terminate with spray. You won't hurt anything as long as that corn plant is still underground, okay? And, and I don't know how many of the charts of mine you've seen, but in five days at the right time, a legume package can go from 150 pounds of N to 280 pounds of N. It's a huge, huge difference. That's why I always recommend no-till, plant, wait five days if you're non-GMO, and then terminate. If you're GMO with a, a Roundup trait, wait till the corn's out of the ground, then terminate, and pick up all that extra time of, of fixing nitrogen. That's plan number one. Now, if you can't get in the field until October, then put a big old X through plan number one. And you gotta go to plan number two. Plan number two is gonna be, I would plant 20 pounds of cereal rye. That's it, 20. And then I would plant 50 pounds of cold tolerant peas like uh, Grassland Oregon Survivor, Wyoming peas, um, 
what's the ones I always used a long time ago? Um, Austrian winter peas. All of these things will survive your winter. And then you will have this legume come out next spring and fix as much or more nitrogen than those clovers and vetches would have done. Now here, here is where I would probably do my slicing pass idea. And I would take your vertical tillage tool and just set it to the ground and drive and slice all this pea up into shreds. And then wait a couple days, no-till corn, and then decide if you want to spray a burn down or not. That is what I would do in two different scenarios to get you to Eastern Iowa corn planting next spring. Now, the reason why uh, would flying on be an option? Uh, only it would be for option A because most of that I gave you is small seeded. Well, the, the sunflowers are kind of large and the oats, but if you catch a rain, you probably can get most of this to grow. I don't like airplanes, especially in our situation when we are solely dependent on the biomass. You know, you can't have a bobble out there or it's a weed patch. So if you're not to that degree, then fine, you can do whatever you want. Yes, I would, I would, if, as soon as your beans are turning, leaves are starting to turn that yellowish, get an airplane out or get a, get a guy with a high boy or a, a miller or whatever that's got a, a, a cover crop attachment on it and let him blow it on. That would be the best. So again, Kevin, I don't know your whole scenario. I don't know your crop rotation. I don't know a lot of things here. I'm kind of shooting from the hip here without all of the information, but I've given you enough there to make a pretty good decision. Um, how much in do you lose by harvesting the peas ripe for silage? Quite a bit, um, quite a bit, Dave, but it depends. What's your end game here? Are you feeding cows and you want to give them a hellacious uh, food source? And your, uh, your next crop behind is secondary, then I'd be all about taking the peas and the rye for silage. And if you're going to do that, then up the rate of the rye, and I would add some triticale to it. I would go up to 40 or 50 pounds of rye, and I'd add 20 pounds of triticale. And again, Dave, I, I think it, you might be organic, it sounds like. Uh, if you are, then don't do what I'm getting ready to say. But if you're not organic and you're using chemistry, then annual ryegrass. Annual ryegrass, not organic. Okay, annual ryegrass should be in every forage mix. It is a tremendous food source for livestock, but it's hard to terminate. It's very hard to terminate. So only do this if you're using some chemistry and you're in Southern Indiana, I think, so you're gonna get the heat. The heat will terminate annual ryegrass. Annual ryegrass is a tremendous forage crop and it is one of the best, if not the best, compaction mitigator species there is. Your neighbors to the west in Illinois, Dave, have a fragipan, and maybe you do too, I don't know.
But over in Illinois, they have a Fragipan that's down about 16 inches. And the Fragipan is anywhere from four to eight inches thick. And the only way they can bust through it is with annual ryegrass. So consider adding annual ryegrass to your mix if you got a way to terminate it. But yes, back to your original question, you're losing a lot of N is leaving the field. Not only N, but PK, boron, sulfur, manganese, magnesium, everything, carbon, everything's leaving. So everything comes at a cost. So if you've got a way to bring cattle manure back, great. Then take that off for a, 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 a crop, then apply cattle manure maybe, and then come back with forage sorg sorghum again. That might work. Come back with maybe buckwheat, uh, maybe sunflowers. I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. Um, love my annual ryegrass. Yep, we have Fragipan been using ryegrass for 15. There you go. There you go. So, yes, it's a tremendous species. I wish I could use it. I wish I could use um, annual ryegrass, and I wish I could use canola. I can't. I cannot. I cannot stop canola, and I cannot stop annual ryegrass. Not, not without tillage and not without chemistry. And I don't want to do either one of those. But man, I mean, if you want to get a uh, two, if you want to get a species that will pretty much be there every year, and man, is it hardy. But uh, again, I just can't, I can't risk it. Um, I made a huge mistake about eight years ago. The last year, that we gave up on all of our chemistry. I applied two pounds of chicory to two or three fields in a cocktail, just two pounds, that's it. You can't stop the stuff. You cannot stop chicory without chemistry or tillage. And I made that mistake and we're still fighting it. So what we did, we went to alfalfa and the five cuts a year for two or three years has eliminated the chicory. That's the only way I know. I mean, other than uh, putting up fence and grazing it to the ground. And I know you're gonna break every rule there is on a grazer's rule, but sometimes if you wanna terminate something, you overgraze it and let the animals take it to the ground. And you can stop weeds and species you don't want that way, or at least greatly reduce them. Um, stopping is a too strong of a word. It's like controlling. You're never going to control weeds. You can mitigate them, uh, but you're never going to control them. Um, cut annual ryegrass twice, April for forage, May for poor quality forage. Ryegrass doesn't come back strong when it's above 85. There you go. I was talking about the heat. Yep. The heat will typically knock the rye, the annual ryegrass out. Yep. Paul Thomas, soybeans don't compete well with ryegrass. Uh, you mean, what are you saying, Paul? You're saying that soybeans, oh, you mean the annual ryegrass is going to be hard on soybeans? Is that what you're saying? I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, I would agree with that, Paul. Um, again, 
we have to understand what, yeah, what is the end game here? Why are we planting annual ryegrass, okay? Are we breaking up a fragipan? Are we using it for a food source for livestock? Why are we using it? I would not use annual ryegrass just to be throwing another species in your cocktail. It's too dangerous. But if you have a reason to do annual ryegrass, then by all means do it. But understand, like what Paul's saying, beans don't play well with annual ryegrass. I don't know of anything that does. I mean, you plant corn into it, it will suck the life out of it. So again, what's the purpose? That's right, live and learn. It's exactly right, that's why we do these things. It's not failures, these are, huge learning experiences. So there you go. Anybody else? Let's see, Ludmila, if you buffer maneuver, maneuver with 0.1% lignite or linardite powder or 0.01% of humic acid, manure will be much gentler on soil biology as you can observe by worm counts and soil aggregation of humic buffered versus unbuffered maneuver. I couldn't agree more. And I think Ludmila would also agree to this comment where you're gonna do the same concept she's talking about in a chemistry program. So if you're spraying glyphosate, do the same thing she's talking about to help protect, and she's saying use fulvic acid to help protect that biology that you're getting ready to, to spray onto. I love that. And, and at a pH of three, now that's a problem. That can be a problem for some. You've got to get a lot of citric acid. Is that your number one choice, Ludmila, would be citric acid to get that pH down? Not in RO water. Well, RO water, yeah, that's probably, what, what's the pH of the RO water going to be? Uh, orthophosphate. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, so not not everyone not everyone has the ability to get to RO water. So reverse osmosis. We have to understand that. Chem Let's talk chemistry for a moment. And again, I'm not a biologist like Ludmila is. Okay, and she could talk this way better than I can, but you get certain charges on certain things. And if, if your pH is high or your water's too hard, you're going to not get the effect of the product you're spraying like you want because certain things have been tied up. The same concepts are gonna hold true with the biology. Uh, we've got to get the pH down where it belongs so the biology can come along and not be disturbed. And I love her idea. And I got a question, another question for you, Ludmila. Have you found that if you went to the dairy, would they, will they allow you to put this in the, in the pit that they're gonna pull from to apply to your field? Is that how you pull this off? Or, or are you, have you figured out a way to inject this as it's going? I really wish you'd just raise your hand and come on and, and give me a conversation here. 
Let's see if Luke Milo will come on. Because this is another thing that I've been very cautious about is the manure because so many times the common practice at a dairy is to put on 20,000 gallons. And you've got to be absolutely crushing all the biology at that kind of a solution rate. So these are things that, that will help. Um, you can put humic in pits, okay. Uh, Half-life of glyphosate is the longest at pH of 2.5. See that? that? That can create a problem here then. So we gotta be very careful and we have to be very, we have to be students of the game we're, we're working with here. And there's so much at risk here and there's so many things that I don't know. And that's why we try to get people on here that can help us understand. And it, there's so many things that you have to wrap your brain around. I mean, a farmer has got to wear about 15 hats and it's hard to keep everything moving forward and not messing something up. So um, I, I appreciate it when Lumila, Simeon, all these people come on and, and give us give us the help that we all so much need because we we all can't we we can all be um jacks of all trade but masters of none so um we always look for help and i i thank you so much uh ladies and gentlemen for, for helping us out here it's uh it's great we have a great audience we have a very well educated audience i love doing this this podcast it's a lot of fun um if anybody's got any more questions, now's the time because I'm gonna shut this down. Um, thank you so much. It's, uh, I can't believe we're, we're over halfway through 2023 already. You're welcome, Dave. Uh, I just can't believe this. So, and, and guys, we gotta start thinking about safety now. There's gonna be a lot of stuff happening here real soon and it's easy to get distracted. The old phone becomes a pretty big distraction, so. We got to think about safety. I, I just read again this week that two young people <clears throat> went into a grain bin with not with without any safety harnesses on, and they both suffocated and and, and died. Um, we we just have to be on alert at all times. So everyone, be safe. Um, thank you. Uh, let's see, Lou Milan's got another comment here. Hard water cuts glyphosate uh, efficacy dramatically, sometimes by threefold. So RO pays for itself in about a year or so. I totally agree. There are, make sure you look, you find companies that are respectable out there. And yes, if you're going to get into a lot of foliar feeding, whether it's chemistry, whether it's nutrients, whether it's biology, you've got to get the water right. And RO water is about the, the best there is. So thank you, Lou Myla. Dave said we had a 15-year-old neighbor this week die in an ATV accident. There you go. I mean, I could not imagine being a parent and losing your 15-year-old child. So everyone, please, please, please be safe, be cautious, slow down, 
and let's have a great weekend and I'll see everybody next week. Thanks for the great conversation. Um, there's Lou Milo one more time, Dave. If, if you have any questions that are folks smarter than me, uh, facebook.com slash group slash bioferts, B-I-O-F-E-R-T-Z. It's a great group of people. We're gonna get them on here sometime soon. Um, everyone, thanks. Have a great evening. See you next week. Bye-bye.